Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaS Talk, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, Andy Byrne, founder and CEO of Barry. Welcome, Andy. Thank you, Alex. Great to be here. Great to have you on the uh, podcast for the first time. It looks like the, uh, the office is empty. Are you self-isolating everybody from, uh, from Clary working from home? Yeah, self-isolating. And actually, this is the Mirage. This is the Zoom background, which uh, we have many. And, uh, you know, so uh, we're, we're at home and hunkered down, but uh, still business as usual. It's a little different, but uh, we're still cranking. We're obviously working from home at the moment, and we did our first virtual happy hour last Friday, and all the team were pulling out all the stops with the virtual backgrounds. And yeah. then when I went to have a go, because I've never done it before, my Mac gave me the sad news that I hadn't been up, uh, updated to the, the latest software, so I couldn't do anything, and I was there with my plain old background. But I'll get that, I'll get that updated at, uh, at some point. But, yeah, um, definitely, definitely recommend the updates, for yeah. sure, because it's super fun. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Well, well Andy, um, you, you know, for those that don't know you, uh, tell us who's Andy Byrne. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, Alex, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Great, great to be here. Um, a little bit about Andy Byrne. So I am a California product. So I'm born and raised in the Bay Area. Uh, my, uh, my mother, um, uh, her background, and uh, she was a guitar teacher. My father was a Naval Academy graduate. Uh, so he was um, based out in a Naval base over here in the Bay Area before Silicon Valley was Silicon Valley. So uh, I've seen the Silicon Valley grow up from just orchards to what uh, feels like one of the you know, most important uh, areas of the economy. Um, and I've just been very fortunate to be a beneficiary of that living here all my life. And, and uh, as I understand, you've, um, you've started uh, four businesses, so you've grown four businesses. Um, I, I think uh, three to exit is, is Clary the fourth, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, so you're also a serial uh, entrepreneur. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, my wife tells me I'm a glutton. I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, uh, the way I, uh, the, but my, my view of it is that um, I like to distill down why I do what I do into one sentence. And that is, I, I really love creating something from nothing. So uh, there's something super powerful about you don't have an idea, you have an idea. You don't have a prototype, you have a prototype. You don't have customers, you have customers. And this idea that you're building this entity that is now producing value to many, many people, many, many organizations, and is producing really powerful cash flow for investors that leads to you know, incredible outcome and, and making an impact on people's lives. How did you come up with the idea then of, uh, of Clary? Yeah. So uh, our thesis at Clary was that we thought machine learning was going to do something really big in enterprise software. That was the, the thing that my CTO, Ben Katrongen, and I were thinking through. Uh, our previous venture that we had started back in 2004 um, was a company that was doing uh, machine learning and natural language processing across large volumes of data in that uh, company was called Clearwell. Um, uh, we were doing it for a di different set of use cases. We were helping people rapidly respond to litigation issues or securities investigations. So the software would figure out 
who sent what to whom when, key topics, key discussions, key files, key people in a case that allowed people to rapidly understand their exposure, whether it's an SEC investigation, the serious fraud office, the SFA, and we use that to allow them to speed up the process of understanding their exposure. So uh, that company, uh, we grew to 100 million in ARR, and then uh, we were acquired by Symantec in uh, June of uh, 2011. So we started Clary um, out of that uh, work that we had done in sort of late 2012, early 2013, because my CTO thought, hey, Artificial intelligence is being um, utilized really across just a handful of large consumer companies, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, Google. And it had yet to be thought through about the power of AI and enterprise software, which is a $350 billion market. So we took that thesis to Sequoia Capital, who's our largest shareholder. They led our Series A. It's our fourth company we've been involved with, with Sequoia. They like the thesis. They like the, the market opportunity, a big addressable uh, market, and they like the idea that there are current incumbents, uh, whether it's SAP, Salesforce, Microsoft, Oracle, that are sitting on legacy architectures that are not really designed from the ground up to service AI to customers. So that's, that's how we got Clary started. Uh, and just um, so you mentioned it's Sequoia backed. Um, can you share any information in terms of uh, how much you've raised, uh, how many people are working at Clary now, um, a, a bit of data around that? Yeah, sure. Happy to. So, um, yeah, so Sequoia led the A, Bain Capital led my B, my Series B, uh, Tanaya Capital, which is a well known company both on, on both coasts, both in Boston and Silicon Valley, led our Series C. We uh, just a few months back recently raised our Series D of 60 million. That was led by two great firms, Sapphire Ventures and Madrona Venture Group, um, of which that brings our total capital raised to 135 million. Uh, we currently have uh, roughly 250 employees, um, and uh, you know, still scaling up the company. Before we jump into um, the lessons that you've learned in, you know, uh, in growing, scaling SaaS businesses, obviously we're all faced, uh, like the, the whole world is uh, faced with this global health pandemic of the coronavirus, which uh, uh, nobody perhaps was uh, really, really kind of saw it coming in, in January when we we're doing our, our planning for, for the year, or certainly I, I can speak for myself, uh, I, I didn't. Um, and, and now a lot of the things are kind of out the window uh, uh, and we're kind of uh, starting again, you know, uh, on our side. But perhaps it's a little bit different, you know, for a SaaS company. But I'm just interested to get your, your, your view, uh, well view on this and how it's impacted Clary. You know, when did you see, you know, this was coming, something needs to be done. Uh, you know, do you have... Uh, uh, regular meetings, you, you know, in terms of like uh, what happens in a disaster situation. What is the planning for a company of your size, and, and how have you adapted? Yeah, sure. So um, actually, I think what's what, what's interesting that your audience would probably want to learn is is the various conversations we're having with CROs and CEOs and board members of both private and public companies that are our customers, and how they're triaging and doing crisis management. Um, of which, of course, we're right in the middle of this. You know, we have our platform, which is a revenue operations platform, is analyzing all of their, you know, go forward revenue. It's, we're tracking what the reps are doing. We're tracking how engaged the customers are, are across those deals. 
and we're projecting where they're going to land. So we're, we're a big piece of um, a lot of the crisis management that's happening because they're looking at Clary to tell them what the future holds. You know, in those conversations, uh, what we have found over the course of the last probably two to three weeks is that uh, I've distilled it down into one theme is that our customers are looking to have revenue confidence. It's less about growth, Alex, and it's more about where are we going to land, not just current quarter, not just next quarter, but what do the next 12 months look like? And how can Clary help them give that, give them that confidence that's going to allow them to replan, um, put the right plan forward, make the right operating adjustments so that they can get back to exceeding their targets, having a good top line, a good expense line, and make sure they can get back to kind of a winning program and a winning culture, which, you know, it's going to take a handful of quarters for them to get back to that. So, um, in those meetings, what we're talking about is, is making sure they have the right sort of data and instrumentation across the end-to-end -end revenue process of quickly understanding how uh, the current pipeline is going to convert, quickly understanding customer set sentiment across that pipeline, understanding how pipeline creation uh, is, is trending. And, and of course, in, in this current global pandemic and crisis, they're all trending downward. The question is, um, how, how far is it going to fall? Um, and then how, how many cuts do they make? How, how deep are their cuts? And so those are the, 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 um, the conversations we're in. And in a lot of cases, I'll tell you, Alex, that I'm getting uh, unplanned calls from CEOs and CROs of publicly traded companies that are saying, your AI has shifted so dramatically, we're not too sure it's the truth. And we dive in with them and we're telling them, no, actually based on what we're seeing and the behavior of reps and the behavior of customers, that is the truth. And yes, it's scary and you need to, you need to start planning. And so it's a tough time, but I think we're, we're a valuable asset during these times to give them that revenue confidence. Oh, that's good to hear. And, and, and uh, I mean, what I wanted to pick your brains on um, originally, we're going to stick to that, is because of your, your sort of wealth of experience in, uh, you know, growing, scaling uh, SaaS businesses, um, is really looking at the various kind of different stages, uh, you, you know, the, the zero to one million, you know, key lessons that you've learned there uh, yeah. along the way, you know, one to 10, you know, 10 to 20. Um, if you can uh, if we if we go back, I guess to that you, you know that zero to one million stage, um, you know what would you say are kind of some of the key lessons that that you've learned and now you're in your fourth business that you can share with our audience? Yeah, sure, happy to. So I'd say zero to one is um, it's both the most romantic stage of starting the company, um, and it's also the arguably the most uncertain. So there's a level of stress um, that maybe most people are not uh, too familiar with is that stress of, of uncertainty. So uh, it's romantic because you don't really, the board's not really uh, too concerned about, you know, your revenue targets. You're more concerned about product, building product, getting into customer accounts, um, getting, you know, the, the most important thing I would say, um, if, I, if you were to force me to say in the zero to one, it's less about the revenue and it's more about creating learning loops. 
And you, you, uh, you do that by getting, cultivating a handful of what would you think are going to be your ideal target customers, developing deep relationships with them, and being able to get them to trust you, to lean in, to make a bet, to take a risk. How do you do that? Well, you do that by first and foremost having, you know, the, using your, your board or your relationships to get you into the accounts. Uh, secondly, is you have to start to show a vision where those accounts believe in that vision and it aligns with some sort of significant pain that they're dealing with, that they think that you can address because you don't have a real functioning product at this point. Uh, it also then requires you to make sure that the customers you're talking to, Alex, that they fit a level of early adopter profile uh, and not a laggard profile in um, adopting technology. So you have to make sure they're risk oriented, not just the company, but the individual that you're speaking with. They're willing to take risks, both in terms of bringing new tech in and also putting their reputation at risk. So that's number one. How do you then get momentum to where they would want to actually deploy the product and actually start to buy the product is the next question. Um, how you, how you um, get to a point where you're, you're able to deploy it is it's about setting their expectations af meeting after meeting and exceeding those expectations, telling them, hey, here's how we're thinking. You show them some screenshots. You show them the vision. It addresses a, ma a ma major pain point. Uh, in our case, early at Clary, it was they were in Excel hell. They were in spreadsheets all over the place, and we were going to show them a new world where they could eliminate a lot of this inefficiency. And so what we, what we did then is we said, okay, let us come back and show you we're going to build the following things. And we would come back, and we would build even more. And it was just in a prototype form. And they would say, oh my gosh, not only did you build what you said you would build, but you, you build even more in a short amount of time. So now they're leaning in, right? Uh, and so now they're saying, okay, I'm gonna bring in my, my security folks. I'm gonna bring in a couple more people. And you're able to then establish relationships with them. And you run the same playbook. You say you're gonna do one thing, set of deliverables, set of features you exceed that set of deliverables in a really short time frame. you get to the point where they say, okay, we're ready to deploy. That is, and on top of that, you're creating the learning loop. So you got the trust loop, you got the learning loop, and now all of a sudden you've got this momentum within this account and you're doing everything you can to blow them away and solve their problem. So then that's gonna get them to now get into a point where they're thinking about doing an early purchase and it's that sort of workflow, that sequence of events that you execute as an entrepreneur to get yourself a handful of customers to get to that seven figures of ARR. Is that helpful? Very, very, very helpful. And so now you're at the seven figures of ARR um, and uh, that, that's a great achievement. Uh, there's maybe a little bit less stress uh, because you've hit this kind of milestone and now you're thinking, 10 million, you know, for the next milestone, uh, assuming that you, you, you have the, uh, the ambition, right? Which I think many are, they're not just on the journey just to hit, hit yeah. one. So going from that one to 10, what kind of changes, what are the key things that you've got to think about here? 
Yeah, I, I think that the key changes are really, it comes down to personnel, right? Now we're moving out of the garage. We're moving out of, uh, you know, post-Series A. We're thinking about a Series B. You know, we get a handful of customers that are saying, you know, it, I, I, I'm, I've paid them an, a nominal amount of money, but I'm, I'm planning on spending more. They like the roadmap, et cetera. So now you're looking to raise an additional amount of capital. And, and as part of that, you need to actually start to think about the team that you're going to actually deploy, not just on the R&D side, but also on the go-to-market side. And generally speaking, your first handful of go-to-market professionals are what I call general athletes. They can do a lot. Uh, they're not just coin-operated salespeople. They are more cerebral in nature. Um, and uh, more curious in nature. So um, they, uh, they're scrappy. They can build pipeline on their own. They are, don't mind doing their own outbound calling and building uh, what is an early form of pipeline that we can start to then uh, put into some sort of organized manner showing the investors, both current and future, that this is real pipeline and being able to actually put those customers in touch with current investors and future investors. Now uh, we've got some momentum uh, with a larger set of customers based on call it one or two general athlete sales reps. Um, and we are now looking like we have the ability to create pipeline that can get us to call it the 5 million ARR uh, general uh, kind of milestone it's allowing us to kind of lean in and say, hey, we can go 1515 uh, on ARR on an annual basis that allows the, the uh, future investors to lean in on a Series B that then allows you to then raise that Series B based off of A, a great product vision, B, early investors that are solid investors that led your Series A, and C, customer validation and references where they say, you know, this is solving a massive pain and their roadmap is something where I'm planning on spending more with the company. Start to harvest that pipeline, execute, close that, and just get a little bit more kind of early startup infrastructure handful of people as you're starting to build out your, your sales team and then just starting to create a brand identity starting to make sure that you're, you've gone from a really sparse, simple, one or two page website to something that looks actually bigger than you actually are. And hiring a, a head of marketing doesn't have to be an, a, a, a CMO, can be a scrappy sort of director of marketing that can come in and can uh, work with you, the CEO, and the go-to-market team to make you look bigger than you actually are. Um, and that's allowing us to establish a brand in the market as we're looking to go from that one to five to 10 million in ARR. Do you find uh, the, the general athletes that you bring in bet- uh, for that one to 10 phase, uh, once you've got to that 10 million ARR, are, are they serving a tour of duty that you know, when you get to 10 and there's a new phase, they go somewhere else and, and, and serve that purpose again. And you, you get somebody else that you're looking for the next phase. Or do you find uh, other positions for them within the business? Like, how, how does that work? Uh, yes and no. Um, it, it actually all depends. I mean, sometimes you'll, you'll see individuals that 
Um, that's kind of their, that's sort of their wheelhouse set of capabilities. And that's where they want to, you know, that's where they want to kind of serve their career. You see others that either A, have the ambition and B, have the aptitude to scale and to start um, bringing in a team. We call it, they move from general athlete, individual contributor to player coach having a handful of reps underneath them and starting to realize that they can actually be a talent magnet and can start to recruit a team under them. And they have both the ambition and the aptitude and the headroom to scale and start running a larger sales team. Post that as you get to, you know, a team that is sort of greater than 20 or 30 reps. Sometimes you'll find that you need to bring in a more seasoned leader uh, that can come in that has the experience that is less about um, tactical execution uh, across pipeline and more about scaling your infrastructure, putting a leadership layer in place as you look to go from you know 10 million to 25 to 50 million and having you know a different style of leadership that's more operational and GM. Uh, and less about um, getting deals done, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then this kind of uh, I, I, 10 to 25, uh, we won't go, I think, like beyond 25, because if we go all the way to 100, uh, we could be here for, uh, uh, for, for an hour or two, uh, yeah. and I'm conscious of your time. But from that 10 to 25 phase, uh, um, some key lessons uh, uh, that, that you've learned um, from that phase. Yeah, from 10 to 25, um, you know, I think uh, what, what you see is you see the competitive landscape changes. Um, what happens is you see uh, a lot of your competitors that you thought you were competing with are no longer viable. They're gone. And then there's a new set of players that you're competing with that are either trying to fast follow you or there's a handful of larger incumbents that are saying um, maybe we should start paying attention and competing against this, this younger company that's on a fairly high growth curve. So I think uh, the competitive landscape becomes very interesting and in how to navigate that competitive landscape through, you know, your product execution, the roadmap that you're thinking through and your go to market and brand execution and being able to kind of build a, a more significant presence. So, I think the competitive landscape comes, becomes very interesting and you have to be very thoughtful about um, how you're playing in it and the chess pieces that you're going to move across the board. Um, the, uh, the, in our case, and in, in the case of Clary, a few, few years back when we went through that, moving from, from 10 to, to 25, um, for us, you know, one of the things that we realized is that um, our customers were saying, that um, there's so much more that we can be doing for them and what we called, you know, we, we had this platform that was what we called a, a predictive sales management solution. We were uh, delivering a, a revenue operations platform that was analyzing all of the data within a CRM. It would analyze what reps are doing. It would then start to analyze all this signal outside of the CRM. So we were looking at Exchange and Gmail and Office 365 data. We are starting to analyze Marketo and Pardot and HubSpot data, analyzing a myriad of other signal that's sort of marketing and buyer intent data. 
And, and what we were doing is we were creating a new interface that allowed sales teams to close their deals faster, allowed managers to drive more revenue, and allowed executives to boost forecast accuracy. Those three constituents, I called it the golden triangle. And for us, what was interesting is that um, our product footprint started to organically just expand within the account. And I feel like you, again, this is going back to creating these learning loops and make sure you're constantly bridging some sort of learning bridge. And what we learned is that um, customers were, uh, we'd sell a 500 user license and you'd see 600, 700 people starting to use the product. We said, oh, well, what's going on here? And what we realized is marketing was starting to come into Clary because they didn't have any AI that was allowing them to understand how much pipeline should we be creating for Q plus one and Q plus two and out quarters. So we started to see a gravitational pull of marketing people coming in, not just sales. We also started to see uh, um, people that were concerned about their renewals business. These, these are you know, account managers, people in customer success wanting to know about churn, upsell, cross-sell, net dollar retention. And so we actually transformed moving the company from this predictive sales management solution to this connected revenue operations platform where we are serving a larger set of constituents across the revenue process. And so the learning there for us is that always keeping your ear to the ground on how you can expand the product footprint, expand your value delivery, and then, you know, earn the right to further monetize the feature set that you're delivering to the customer. So we've seen that happen over the last sort of, you know, one to two years for us as we're on this now mission to give our customers, you know, more revenue confidence in this new era. Um, you mentioned before we um, started recording the show uh, that you've been for a bike ride uh, this morning, mm. and um, you, you know we always ask our guests, you know, how they stay healthy and sane uh, as they, you know, run their and, and scale their companies and large, large organizations. As as being a founder, you know, it's very stressful, um, you, you know, the best of times, or it can be. Um, so, what's your way of, of staying healthy and sane? Yeah, um, my mountain bike is my church, as I always say. Um, when my body allows me to, I'm on it five, six days a week. Um, I'm in a fortunate place where uh, in the Silicon Valley, there's some incredible landscape out here that allows you to do some incredible riding. So that's number one. Uh, number two is that uh, about three or four years ago, I actually started um, meditation work, which I have to say, Alex, I was incredibly skeptical as a type A, a go-go uh, executive. Um, and that is actually, if you were to, if I was to point to one thing that has transformed my life, it's meditation. And the third is uh, spending time with my family. Um, and my, my two boys who are 16 and 17 and really frustrated because they're stay at home and they want to be with their friends. and and spending time with my wife, Julie, and, and making sure that, you know, you cherish those moments. But I'll say that, you know, f right now, what is um, what I'm really inspired by is actually my employee base right now. As we move into this new world where we're work from home, um, and I see uh, the level of creativity and collaboration that's coming from them, I'm just profoundly moved. I'm humbled. 
And um, you know what what we're seeing is I'm seeing a ton of empathy um, across not just our employee collaboration, but our engagement with customers. I'm seeing a, a ton of creativity and collaboration that we actually didn't see previous to this, which is really powerful. Um, and you know that that to me is is what I think is very profound, and I'm really excited about it. It's what gets me up is to see the new things that our employees are creating in this in this new world. Yeah, I mean, I, I echo that from from our side as well, just to see. Uh, how uh, I guess we're, you know, we're all moved uh, to remote work. We're all, you know, facing this kind of uncertain times, but the level of creativity, the human spirit, you know, how high it is, you know, within our business, but also what we're seeing outside and just the creativity, the fun, the humor, you know, in everything um, that uh, the human spirit is an amazing thing and it will, you, you know, get us through this. Uh, I mean, not on its own, but uh, it will certainly help us through it. Um, uh, and that's fantastic to uh, uh, to see. Do you use any uh, particular app for meditation or uh, is, is this something that you, you, you do app-free? Uh, I, I do actually. Uh, every morning for 10 minutes, I'm using the Calm app. Okay. Uh, which, you know, I, I highly recommend. It's been great. Um, uh, so if anybody wants to try that you should definitely try that so it's, it's a fantastic app and um i agree with you alex i do think that um you know my closing comment on this on this particular subject is that um you know in this crazy world that we're in just being able to uh cherish what you have uh and realize how lucky we all are uh, and then figuring out, okay, what are the small victories that you can have for you, for your team that allows you to have, you know, some reduce the cortisol levels, uh, increase the dopamine, the serotonin levels, uh, and, and, and uh, oxytocin, and, and be able to then also look at how can we as a society, as an individual, as a company, Clary, what we're puzzling through next is... Um, how can we help? What can we do from home? What can we do across our communities to help, you know, get through this tough time that we're in? But you're right. We'll get through it. If you look at, you know, human society, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, the entrepreneurial DNA in our blood and the creativity that we'll see. Uh, yes, there'll be a lot of mistakes made across you know, a lot of different regions and governments and all that good stuff. But I, I'm convinced we'll get through this to the other side. It's just a cycle. Yeah, likewise. Uh, and, and wise words there. And just uh, finally, you'll, uh, uh, you'll be joining us uh, to speak at SaaStock Remote on, uh, on June the 10th or 11th. Uh, uh, it's running on both days. We'll, we'll work out the, the exact date, uh, perhaps right. a little bit early. And I'm put, uh, putting you on the spot there. But have you thought about uh, what you might uh, be speaking about um, uh, at the, uh, our, our first virtual conference? The early indicators of content that I think the audience might be interested in is really just telling people what the boards and the CROs and CEOs are telling me and what the go forward journey looks like. And it's really around um, giving them that confidence around their revenue process because the sooner they can get that revenue confidence and what does that mean um, and walking through making sure your viewers your audience understands what they need to be doing differently. What sort of instrumentation do they need across their revenue process? 
to plan right, to execute correctly, uh, to be in a position, right? This is what my board is telling me, be in a position to when we get through this cycle, and we will, Alex, to be in a position to hit the accelerator, right? And get in a, your entire team, your go-to-market, your planning, your cash flow, your spend, everything in a good spot so you can be ahead of the pack once we come out of this turn. Well, it sounds super interesting. I'm delighted that you'll be joining us for SaaS.Remote. Really appreciate that. And with that, Andy Byrne, CEO of Clary, thanks so much for being a great guest on the SaaS Revolution show today. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Great, Great to be a part of it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, if you enjoyed it, don't forget to leave us a five-star review if you think it's worth five stars. Just to note uh, or announce that we have SaaS Stock Remote, which is our first virtual conference taking place on June the 10th and 11th. From a time frame perspective, it's going to be accessible to a global audience. So we're going to accommodate our global listenership of the SaaS Revolution Show. We're going to include a lot of our usual content although it's going to be new content around you know how do you build grow scale a SaaS company additionally we're going to be covering topical content around dealing with crisis dealing with coronavirus amongst other things we're going to have uh, be joined by great speakers like Thomas Tungus David Scott Mark Roberge Christoph Jans uh, amongst uh, many others so the, from the content side of things it's going to be uh, super exciting interesting valuable uh, additionally there's going to be great networking opportunities there's going to be a virtual expo we're going to be doing private roundtables investor matchmaking the full startup program so if you've ever been to a conference. Expect many of the uh, the same things, but also some new and exciting additions. So June the 10th and 11th, that's SASDOC Remote, our first online conference. Go to sasdoc.com forward slash remote for more details. And we hope to see you there.